Hi, this is Randy Landry, and this is my 46th podcast on Common Sense and Ramblings in America. Today I'm going to read the final chapter of my memoirs, at least for now anyway. Uh, This will be chapter 20. So, as always, you can see uh, or read my um, articles, or my, in this case, my memoirs, in my blog, common-sense-in-america.com. And uh, just go look for the, uh, the category, the bloggist, and you will find all the chapters of my memoirs, all 20 of them. Um, so, without further ado, I am going to read from my memoirs, chapter 20, The Life of a Blogger, A Truly Never-Ending Story. COVID-19 years. So I'm going to wrap up this section of my nursing experiences in my memoirs with a discussion on the COVID-19 pandemic. While there has been an endless barrage of information on this subject, I don't feel that there has been that much from the perspective of someone who has actually been in the front lines this whole time, that of an ICU nurse. Most books written are always by doctors who only spend a few minutes with their patients and make it sound like they are the ones who are actually taking care of the patients. When in actuality, it is the much smaller nurses who do the vast majority of the thankless work surrounding patient care and get a fraction of the compensation. While it is true that CNAs are involved in care as well, they are not part of the care with ICU patients, which is where the most serious action has taken place with the COVID-19 patients in this pandemic. If an infected patient is fortunate enough not to require a transfer to the ICU, they usually have full recoveries. It is those patients unfortunate enough to reach the ICU who don't do so well. For even if they survive, many suffer from long-term symptoms of the infection, which is something that is just being discovered by the medical profession, but has been observed by nurses for quite some time. It may sound like I'm a little bitter. Well, I am. I have seen more people die in the last 20 odd months than I have in the rest of my career, which is close to 20 years. Thanks to politics and infighting with the corporate elite, those numbers are not radically changing. I am sure that you have heard about all these percentages and how many people survive COVID. Over 98% do. Well, that is no consolation for the ICU nurse when our survival rate is less than 10% for these patients. While I don't have the actual numbers, I fear that it is way less than that. During the peak time of the pandemic, I have seen as many as five people die in one night. To give you a better perspective of this, my unit had less than 30 patients in at the time. I am sure that you hear about all the drugs and treatment modalities that are out there. Well, it doesn't do the patient any good if they are not being utilized or started soon enough. What I am seeing is the same old pattern of treatments for these patients, while their symptoms gradually progress until they just up and die. I am sure it is also very frustrating for the doctors as well. I know that their hands are being tied. This is where I need to be careful because I have a license to protect in my livelihood as well. Since I am not a doctor, I am not privy to the information or the discussions that take place with them. I am not sure if they have certain guidelines they have to follow or not. If they do, they need to change them. Their current crop of treatment plans involves drying out the patient to such an extent that the patient's blood pressure suffers and eventually so do their kidneys. Many eventually have to be put on continuous dialysis treatment or CRRT. This loyalty to this treatment modality causes the patient's condition to take an up and down path. I feel unnecessarily so, but who am I? I just spend 12 hours a day taking care of these patients. I am just a lowly nurse who also happens to use a stethoscope. Well, enough of the self-pity. It is just frustration because we did not go into nursing to see people die. 
I am sure that you have heard a lot of nonsense going around about the vaccine. Well, I am a pro-vaccine person. That is under certain circumstances. I believe that it should never be mandated. If we as citizens were kept in the loop and we were given information that we could truly trust, I think that things would be a lot better. I'm a highly trained nurse with over 11 years of critical care experience alone, and I feel that I can't trust the information out there. I also am a blogger of sorts who has devoted an inordinate amount of time researching and writing about the pandemic, and I'm having a really hard time finding accurate information. It has come down to power and money and nothing else. I have researched Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks extensively. I feel that they are at the bottom of this misinformation campaign. If you go back and look at their history, you will find out that they were at the core of all the HIV and AIDS panic back in the 1980s. If you want more information, simply go to my blog, common-sense-america.com, and look up two categories, COVID-19 in healthcare and Dr. Fauci. You will find countless articles covering this subject. Dr. Fauci is a hungry, power-hungry little troll who is responsible for hundreds of thousands of people's deaths worldwide. I firmly believe it is his arrogance and his godlike complex that are at the core of our current pandemic. But irregardless of all the propaganda and misinformation out there, the vast majority of the patients that progress to the ICU are those that are not vaccinated. So despite what all the media is saying on either side, this is the unvarnished truth. You can do with it what you will. One more thing. For the Delta variant, the age of our ICU COVID patients is getting younger and younger. People in their 50s and even 40s are getting deathly sick. No longer do they even need a slew of comorbidities to earn them an ICU bed. <clears throat> I have seen a rate of nursing burnout that I have never experienced before. I actually think that we are experiencing PTSD or post-traumatic distress disorder. I have recently joined this number. I have just recently tendered my resignation in an effort to keep my sanity and to also prevent any safety issues with my patients. My patient safety is of the utmost importance to me, and I cannot live with myself if I did something to jeopardize their health or safety. So I'm taking the next couple of months off so that I can get some much-needed rest and rethink my career options. Nursing has become a job for young people. The 12-hour shifts are becoming more and more difficult to manage. I used to work four and five days a week, but ever since the pandemic entered the picture, I have been barely tolerating my three 12-hour shifts a week. I feel that I've aged 10 years in the last 20 months. I decided to keep this chapter short and to not provide specific examples like I have in previous chapters. I will, however, discuss what a generic and typical patient goes through right up to their death. First of all, once a patient is found to be positive, their whole life changes. They are now isolated from their family. The family can't even see them through windows and the door of their room. I think that this is carrying things a little too far. However, we do allow phone calls and we can set up Zoom calls with them if they aren't able to do so themselves. When I went into nursing school, I was told during a class on end of life that the hearing is the last sense to go, even after the sense of smell. So we were told that it is very important that we watch what we say among our, around our patients because they may actually be able to hear us talking. So even if they are intubated and sedated, we allow the Zoom calls in the hopes that the voices of their loved ones will give them some solace. The patient is also isolated in the kind of care that they are now receiving. They now only see people in protective gear with masks, respirators, and face shields. 
Their care, by necessity, has become highly impersonal and lacks the humanity of the human touch. Touch that is not through protective gear, but with skin-on-skin -skin contact. People are social creatures and need this contact. Why else do we use solitary confinement in our prisons as a form of punishment? I have listed below some of the symptoms that a positive patient can experience. Symptoms may appear 2 to 14 days after exposure to the virus. People with these symptoms may have COVID-19, fever or chills, cough, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, fatigue, muscle or body aches, headache, new loss of taste or smell, sore throat, congestion or runny nose, nausea or vomiting, and diarrhea. Look for emergency warning signs for COVID-19. If someone is showing any of these signs, seek emergency medical care immediately. Trouble breathing, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion, inability to wake or stay awake, pale, gray, or blue-colored skin, lips, or nail beds, depending on skin tone. The main symptom that causes the nurse concern in our patients is their breathing difficulties. This is obviously the most critical symptom that we have to control. Patients will experience progressively greater and greater shortness of breath. They will get to a point where the act of eating is too much for them. During this time, they are already receiving the various treatments that are allowed in their respective states. We start them on a simple nasal cannula, and we gradually increase their flow rate till it reaches 6 liters. Then we have to switch to an unusually a non-rebreather mask. Then by this time, they have been usually transferred to the IMC. Soon the mask is no longer sufficient and they require a high-flow nasal cannula, which provides more aggressive support with much greater flow of oxygen. Sometimes they require a mask and the high-flow cannula together. If the people can tolerate it, we place them on continuous CPAP or continuous positive airway pressure. By this time, the patient requires assistance to do the simplest tasks, even taking sips of water. Eating solid foods has long since become but a memory. If they are lucky, they may be able to tolerate a protein drink, but the increased work of sucking the viscous fluid through the straw may be too much work for them. It is typically at this stage that they get upgraded to the ICU. Once they are at the ICU, which is the vast majority of them, they have reached their final destination. After a few days, some may take a little longer, but they eventually all succumb to the call of the ventilator and the endless flow of aggressive IV therapy that this entails. Each new drip we add brings with it additional issues that we have to monitor for. The patient on the artificial breathing machine needs sedation to keep them calm enough so they can tolerate it. They are no longer aware of their surroundings, which is usually for the best, because now they have tubes in most of their orifices, one to feed them, one to collect their urine, and another one to collect the all-frequent diarrhea that arises due to the tube feeding that they will soon start receiving. If they survive the next two weeks in the ventilator, the family will find themselves at a crossroads. Either they will have to decide to withdraw life care or allow a surgeon to put a tracheostomy and a peg tube in their loved ones. During this time, their organs are becoming more and more damaged by the ravages of the virus. Micro blood clots continue to form despite anticoagulation therapy and block off the microvasculature of the body, which is in the brain, lungs, kidneys, and the liver. If the patient is lucky enough to get off the ventilator, the damage done to these organs is irreversible and leads to all the symptoms that an increasing number of patients are experiencing. However, if they are not so lucky, eventually the lungs start to collapse and require chest tubes to keep them inflated. 
during this time, we are having to get more and more aggressive with the ventilator settings. Eventually, the lungs become so damaged that nothing works any longer, and they go into respiratory arrest. After 30 or so minutes of CPR, their life simply ends. Remember that this is happening to younger and younger people. What an ignoble way to die. Have I painted a vivid enough picture for you? So now you know what your loved ones will experience and what your nursing relatives have been suffering through the last 20-odd months. Well, this concludes Chapter 20 of my memoirs. I hope you have found it informative. I'm sure you have not enjoyed reading this chapter or listening to me speak. But whatever I've said in it, it is the unvarnished truth. It is happening, it has happened, and it will continue to happen until we do something about it. As always, please stay safe, protect yourself, and don't give up the fight. You have a great day, and take care.